following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Good morning, guys. Sufficiently fed? I was just thinking this this place when we come in here tomorrow, like Dave was talking about, we can we can uh, get more of a sense of what it was like to come into the temple back in the day, right, with the sacrifices, the meat sacrifices, just the aroma in the air, and uh, we'll have uh, that aroma of bacon tomorrow morning, and it'll just be ongoing worship, won't it? So uh, be like the Lord is visiting with us today for sure. But you know, uh, we we are talking about leadership this year, and and uh, so I. I just stepped back from it and, and was just thinking about some foundational things. A lot of times we want to get, when we talk about leadership, we want to get right into the trenches of just practical things. But, but unless we have a foundation and our perspective right, the, uh, the little things that we get into, the weeds we get into don't matter so much. And so, uh, as I was just praying through this, uh, I felt like the Lord was leading me in a specific direction and, and so, uh, we're going to take a, a view of, of leadership from more of like a 30,000 uh, foot, foot view this morning. And, uh, and I pray that that, that the Lord does something in your heart this morning as he has mine as I've, I've been studying his word and just looking at this passage we'll be in this morning. A couple of years ago, I, uh, ran into a short YouTube video and it was about this group of tourists from Germany who had been touring the uh, Southwest United States and they'd gone missing. And back in July of 1996, four tourists from Germany drove from their hotel in Las Vegas into Death Valley. And these four, it was a uh, 34-year-old man and his 11-year-old son and his 28-year-old girlfriend and, and her 4-year-old son. And they had been exploring for about four months, kind of in the southwest, and they were going to spend just the last couple of days sightseeing before they uh, caught their flight back to Germany. Well, they headed into uh, into Death Valley, and they never boarded that plane to Germany. And which it resulted in an Interpol missing person search, and uh, it turned up nothing. After three months of, of searching, their vehicle was finally spotted in that vast desert by helicopter, and there was no traces of the tourists themselves. What search and rescue started piecing things back together, and what they found out is they had stopped at a gift shop and picked up a, an old map, uh, which was a, a guide to Death Valley in German. And they'd also stopped at this mining camp just long enough to sign a register that was their registry with a short note in German that said, we are going over the pass. Well, it became apparent that they had headed out on a rough trail in the desert in a minivan, of all things. And people familiar with this area wouldn't even take this route with a fully equipped four-wheel drive. And it became apparent that the, these tourists were ill-equipped and ill-prepared uh, to cross this area where temperatures exceed 125 degrees in the summer. And I think the low of the week that they actually went missing was 96. And so uh, here they had gone out into this vast desert, and they, they made it maybe a, a few miles into the desert, and the minivan, it was evident, had blown three tires. And they had attempted to continue driving. You could tell from the, the pattern that was left, the drag pattern that was left behind the van, but uh, eventually they ended up abandoning the vehicle and going off on foot, and they were never seen again. Well, 13 years passed, and the bones of the two adults were found, but the the bones of the children were never found. And you look at that, and you're just like, wow, what a what a sad situation. Can you imagine being that guy who led those people, put yourself into his shoes, in that moment when he realized the gravity and the consequences of his decisions for the people that he cared about, that he was leading. And uh, due to his leading, they weren't going to survive. I, I can't imagine. Well, people make leadership decisions every day, most of them not that grave, thankfully. And as men, we're going to make decisions that lead and affect others in, in a lot of ways. Some will lead well, some not so, so well, and some will choose not to lead and just kind of withdraw. Well, there's another man named Moses, who also led some people through a different desert that we're going to look at today. Is uh, We're going to look at Psalm 90. Psalm 90, if you want to pull your phones up or your Bibles. 
Phones are great, but man, I tell you, I love the crinkling of paper when I hear God's word. <laughs> I gotta confess, I'm old school that way. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. God specifically chose Moses to lead these Israelites uh, from captivity in Egypt to the promised land. And many of you have heard about that burning bush moment where God called Moses and to lead his people. And and uh, what was Moses' response? Is probably not much different than than yours or mine would have been in the moment, I would think. He, Moses thought that people wouldn't believe him and they wouldn't follow him. And God gave him the tools that he needed, though. And uh, and then he's told God that words weren't really his thing. And uh, but God reminded Moses that he said, I, I created your mouth and I can put the right words in your mouth when you need them, Moses. And uh, and then God also gave him a brother to help him on the way. And and uh, but Moses still thought, surely somebody else can can fill this spot, fill this need. Well, despite Moses's excuses and his pleading, God had chosen him. And Moses agreed to obey God. During the Exodus, Moses led the people through the Red Sea into the wilderness, and and Moses was not only physically leading these people, but he was spiritually leading them uh, as God's appointed man. And just as Moses was called to lead these people physically and spiritual spiritually, we are also called to lead people physically and spiritually. We'll lead our wives, lead our families, lead in a variety of ways in in ministry. And if you're a man of God, you're God's man to lead. That's just kind of a given fact. Somehow, somehow some way, uh, you're God's man to lead. Dads like Moses, you might feel like you're not the right guy for the job. You might feel like you're not good with words and, uh, and that you're not really equipped and that someone else will surely take care of things. And maybe your wife will handle it. Maybe the kid's Sunday school teacher or the youth leader will handle it, or maybe the Christian school that they're in. Somebody will take care of it. But God, but guys, if God has put you in a home, you're the one to lead. You're the one. On the other hand, you, you might feel like you're the right man and, and you do have all the right tools and you've got it all together. And, and to you, I would say, you don't have an 18 year old daughter, do you? Tell you what, that'll mature you, your prayer life. Teenage daughters will do that. <laughs> uh, well, we get the privilege today of, of getting into the heart and mind of this man of God when his leadership was really being tested and, uh, and learn a few things about leading. Imagine this guy, Moses, the leader of leaders, leading a whole nation with this immense weight on his shoulders. I've never had that kind of weight on my shoulders, but imagine him slipping away and kneeling down, and you get to sit next to him as he pours out his heart to God in Psalm 90. There's no, there's no better way to get to know another guy than to pray with him. Spend time with him in that way. And we get the privilege of doing that this morning, praying with Moses. So we're going to read this prayer, and then we're going to talk about just three things that we can learn from the, from Moses and his leadership. I'm going to read Psalm 90. Let's stand up. Psalm 90, at the top it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand of years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or if even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may 
Rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It's living and breathing, Lord, and uh, it it changes us. As we gaze upon your word, Lord, we stand beneath your word today as you instruct us. And, and God, I pray that uh, as we contemplate and meditate and discuss these things today, God, that you start impressing some things on our hearts and minds as men's to lead, as men to lead. Lord, help us to order our lives accordingly, we pray, by your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as we start off, we see uh, that Moses begins this prayer in this this kind of profession about God. In verse 1, he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. So as far as we can even imagine in eternity past, which our minds can't comprehend, to as far as our minds can imagine into an eternity future, which doesn't go very far, that goes on and on, God has been the one on the throne. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. And here's a few things that Moses held on to. He not only, but that God was, and God is, and God always will be, that he's the eternal God that uh, from everlasting to everlasting. Now, remember, when Moses asked who he should say sent him when the people asked, and what did God say to him? He said, I am. I am sent you. And while in our nature we're, we're really prone to just bounce from one thing to another, God says, I am. When there's chaos in our lives, God says, I am. And, and when the ones that we're trying to lead looks more like herding cats, God says, I am. In the heart and mind of Moses, this is a fixture. The Lord God is central and fixed. And so Moses led with conviction. And so we must also lead with conviction. With everything that the world screams is, is change and things are in flux, but we can take comfort in knowing that God is our rock. Amen? And we we recalibrate our lives to that fact, to him, uh, to him accordingly. If we're going to consider leading others, there's nothing more significant for us than to have the centrality of God in place in our lives and in our hearts. This points out why Moses led, and this brings us to our first point this morning. Why we lead? Because eternity matters. That's why we lead. Eternity. Now, this is, this is something that blows our mind. Guys, we, we can't wrap our minds around the concept of eternity, yet, Yes, Scripture says that eternity is written on our hearts. We we know. We know. And we must take note, it will completely reorient even why we would desire to lead when we consider eternity. I remember being in grade school, and, and my best friend and I at the time, we were sleeping in our in our basement underneath the pool table of all places. It was just the place, just the place kids hang out, right? It's the best place. So we had our sleeping bags down there, and we were trying to, we're trying to sort out things like uh, matters such as eternity and time and space in the in the brilliant minds of 11-year-olds. <laughs> and and I have to admit that blew my mind then, but these these things still blow my mind today. We we just we're finite. We can't comprehend even though it's written on our hearts, we can't comprehend, comprehend eternity and time and space. But but though we can't comprehend the concept of eternity, that doesn't mean we can just blow it off. We must consider eternal matters. We've got to. Paul starts off the book of Romans talking about what is plainly shown to us in Romans 1, verses 20. He says that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. 
So we are without excuse. And we know that Psalm 14.1 says that the foolish man says in his heart, there is no God. If We are leading and heading directly into eternity with God. So let's prepare for that day. And let's, let's prepare each other for that day. And let's prepare those we lead for that day into eternity. Because of the centrality of God, Moses was not just leading people from Egypt to the promised land. He was leading them to God himself. Moses is saying God is home for his people, our dwelling place. He, he always has been the home of his people. Where do we belong? We belong with him now and into eternity. This is, this is an anchor point for Moses, and this, this has to be an anchor point for us. God is eternal and we're heading toward eternity, but, but there's another thing that we must remember if we're going to lead others in any capacity at all, and that's that these, these souls that we are leading are eternal souls. Think about that. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed a man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. Every soul that we ever encounter will spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven with God as their home or separated from him in eternal damnation in hell. This reality should dominate our thoughts. Does it dominate your thoughts? This basic truth should be a, a primary motivator as to why we lead, because eternity matters, doesn't it? As men of God, this should actually bring a great deal of clarity for us and cause us to lead with a, a, an incredible amount of conviction. So if we want to be effective and useful in leading others, we got to start at eternity and work backwards. Doing our, our best to lead eternal souls from where they currently are to Christ himself, eternal life in him, and away from eternal destruction. And we, and we must stop and consider these things on a regular basis. We can't just have such lofty thoughts and kind of give them a nod and then go on with our lives. <laughs> For example, think about this. If, if you knew that the moment you stepped outside of this building, your life was going to be altered, it would be affecting you right now. If you knew when you stepped outside of this building, it would have changed uh, you, that your life was going to be altered. It would have changed your appetite this morning. It would change your concentration right now. You probably wouldn't be able to follow a single thought except the thought that when I go outside, my life is going to be altered forever. The reality of this, uh, the fact that this is going to happen in one hour would begin a, cur uh, some, a chain of events that's going to start changing you now. It's going to affect you now. You know, the, the meaningless things that used to be such great concerns that you chased after, maybe not so much now. You know, that, that thing that you found your identity in didn't matter all of a sudden. Maybe some of the things that you've pursued with your whole life would lose their significance. We should be fixated on our future with God. Think about that. We should be fixated on it. We should be obsessed. This is what we should be reminding ourselves and each other while today is still called today, that we're not dragged away by the deceitfulness of sin, as Hebrews talks about. And this is exactly why the Apostle Paul writes, in Philippians, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We can't hear this enough, guys. You got to get to the end and start at eternity and work backwards for your own sake and for the sake of the lives that you're going to be leading. How about you? Is your life so wrapped up in who God is that he's all you can think about? Is he your obsession? If so, here's a few things that it will affect. It will affect today. If God is our obsession, it will affect the, what our weekend looks like. 
it'll affect our priorities and our conversations with our families and, and people around us that we care about. It's going to change the way that we make decisions. It's going to change our perspective on what's important in life. In the long run, there are some things that will matter, and there are things that really aren't going to matter at all. But when these truths become an anchor points in a man's heart, he's no longer going to pursue after temporary things that moth and rust destroy, but he's going to start setting his affections on things above and pursuing things that are eternal. We need to start at eternity and work backwards and let that inform where we're going and where we're leading others. Amen? So continuing in Psalm 90, let's look at what Moses says about a man's life. Verse 3 says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of men. Verse 5, You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. Verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Look at what Moses compares our lives to. Debris of a flood. You ever seen that in the news, just things being carried off? A dream? Do you guys, does anybody here even remember what you dreamt last night? Moses is comparing our lives like a dream. Grass? A sigh? And there have probably been several sighs here this morning. Come and gone. That's how short life is. And Moses had to be especially aware of this because Somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to 30,000 people a year were dying as they were crossing the, the desert toward the promised land, the ones that would not enter into the promised land. That's, that's 300 to 500 people a week. That's, that's a lot of funerals to go to, isn't it? Can you imagine that? So Moses had this, this perspective on the brevity of life. So we've, we've looked at why we lead. It's because eternity matters. Let's also look at how we lead with a sense of urgency. We lead because eternity matters, and how we lead is with a sense of urgency. Moses had this perspective on the frailty of life. Our lives are fleeting, and the lives of those around us are fleeting. So we have to maintain this perspective. Look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason strength of, of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we will fly away. Seventy or eighty years. Now, some of you younger men, that may sound like a big number. I see guys nodding and smiling, the the guys who aren't younger men. Young at heart, right? But if I asked you guys, what will you be doing 80 years from now? You won't be here. Probably none of us will be here 80 years. That's a short amount of time. All of a sudden, that doesn't seem like that long, really. I work at hospice, and and uh, we work with patients that are at the end of life. And since I've been there, I, I've kind of had to come up with my own systems of managing things. And, and one system that I've come up with is for managing patients, the ones that I, that I deal with, is while they're alive, I have their names in this one three-ring binder, and uh, sorted alphabetically. And then when somebody passes, I opened up the rings on that binder and I take their sheet of paper out and I lay it over in this binder that's by the date of death. And every once in a while, it just strikes me what I'm doing is I pick up a sheet of paper over here and I move it over here. Another life has entered into eternity. Wow. A sheet of paper. That really strikes me and hits me just probably not enough. But it brings this truth home when, when we're 70 or 80 or maybe 90 years have passed. Psalm 90.10 says, they are soon gone and we fly away. Fleeting. Has anybody here had a near miss in life? I'm sure in a, in a group of guys, a group of uh, this size, that several of you guys have had near misses, like an, uh, just an inch, just a minute, just an hour, just a day. Uh, things would have been way different. Uh, 
a tree, a car, an accident of some kind. Most of us have had near misses of some sort. And But we don't like to think of how frail our lives are. <laughs> we, we tend to kind of stick our head in the sands and as if we're going to go on forever in this world. But with a biblical understanding, if we, we can't say that we love and cherish God's word and yet not have this perspective when we've been in Genesis 2 and 3 the last couple of weeks, right, on Sundays. Genesis 2 reminds us that God said, the day you eat of this tree, you surely will die. And, and we did eat, and here we are. Which leads us to the next thing that Moses says in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. If you think about it, this is actually a pretty simple prayer. It's it's easy to understand. He's saying, Lord, help me to think about my life and the shortness of it so that I don't make a fool of myself. What's Moses asking when he's saying, teach me to number my days? It's interesting to think about the things that, as guys, we're good at counting. I mean, sports stats, we got that, right? We got that down pat. I mean, uh, retirement accounts, customer accounts, bank accounts, got those numbers down. Do we number our days? Do we really think about these things? This this isn't a math problem. It, it's not a some sort of life insurance metric. You know, uh, I've noticed as I get older, my life insurance rates go up. There's a reason for that. The, the numbers are working against me at this point. But Moses isn't asking this as a mathematical question. The reason he is asking this of God is because he wanted to gain what? A heart of wisdom. And he wanted the people he was leading to gain a heart of wisdom. That was his prayer. He's asking God to help them to see and view their lives in light of eternity to help them think about their life and, and their the length of their life in the right way and in the right perspective. What will this be worth in a 100 years? The fact is, we know it's all going away, like a vapor. We've seen people come and go all the time, family members, athletes, people in entertainment, politicians. Some politicians, we may want to go away sooner than others. But someday we too will go. Someday we're going to go. You know what the average lifespan of a U.S. male is? Anybody got a guess? 77.28. I did the math. That's just over 8,000 days. I was telling Mel about that, and she's like, wow, that doesn't sound like that many days when you think of it that way. 28,000 days. And maybe sometime in this past year, I passed the 20,000-day mark. That was sobering. I, I did that, and I'm like, wait a minute. And I double-checked it, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> that, that means if I live an average life, I've got about 8,000 days left. And a wise man would look at that and say, what am I going to do with those days? That's not that many more days on planet Earth as it is. How do I want to spend these days to influence others? What's most important? That's why, as men, we must pray, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. We want these days to count, and we have a limited amount of time, and there's a a sense of urgency for ourselves and for the people that we lead. There are things that God wants his people to be about in this limited time. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, be careful, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Scott Hubbard on the Desiring God website writes this. Few people, perhaps, would look at a normal Western life Busy, successful, spiritually indifferent, and say, folly. But could it be because the folly is so socially acceptable? 
Might we modern Western men and women have made a silent pact to ignore eternity? Hmm. Blaise Pascal, a renowned philosopher and mathematician, said, Man's sensitivity to little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are the marks of a strange disorder. I think I have that strange disorder. How about you? By God's grace, if we count our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom, there will be a sense of urgency for those we lead and those who are placed in our care. And Moses is keenly aware of this, of eternal matters, and he prays for wisdom for numbering his days. But I want to point out something else Moses was keenly aware of. Verse 7, look at this. I know I'm kind of bouncing around. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Another thing that Moses is so aware of is his own sin, and he's aware of the sin of the people that he's leading. Guys, the the people that we lead are sinful people. And we know that because we know our own hearts or the sinfulness of our own hearts. Moses sees the consequences of the fall. And we've been completely devastated by our sin and by God's righteous judgment on it. And as we've been looking at today, we have our, our entire lives or existence has been under the shadow of the curse. But all hope is not lost. Praise God. So first, why we lead because eternity matters. Secondly, how we lead, we lead with a sense of urgency. And third, where we lead, we lead to the cross. Look at verse 13. Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as and for as many years as we have seen evil. Guys, apart from the rescue of God, all is hopeless. So we cry out for mercy. Oh, Lord, have pity. Rescue us. Bring us out of hopelessness and despair. Make us whole. Make our hearts glad again, God. And only, as verse 14 says, the steadfast love of the Lord can do that. What a picture of the gospel right here in Psalm 90. It sounds very close to Romans 5, 6, and 8 that says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. How? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. Guys, may we lead others to the cross where Christ took our wrath, where the just God, the justice of God was satisfied and where we're satisfied in his steadfast love as verse 14 talks about. As, as we lead others, we must keep the gospel center central in, in both word and in demonstration in our lives. We need the power of the gospel to transform us, don't we? And our greatest desire is to see the gospel transform the lives that are around us. So first, we lead. why we lead? Because eternity matters. Secondly, how we lead? We lead with a sense of urgency. And lastly, where do we lead? We lead to the cross. Look at verse 16 again. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. That's my prayer for my kids. How about you guys? That God's glorious works might be seen, that he would open their eyes to see the glorious wonder of who he is and what he's done for me and what he's done for them. That's my deepest desire in this short life that I have to live. There's nothing sweeter than seeing your own kids walk with the Lord and a growing knowledge and love for him to see it. I long for my kids to pass this goodness on to their kids, my grandkids. 
And I long for my grandkids to pass this on to their kids, these truths, the reality of of eternity, that they consider these things. And that's about where I am in life right now, teaching my grandkids to think about what they're going to teach their kids. How about you guys? Just in in closing thoughts, I just want to share a little story. Uh, Several years ago, the Lord took me through some really difficult times that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And he used it to redirect my my, my heart back to my kids. He got my attention. And, uh, and we, sometimes these times come along in life when we realize what's most important. And God in his kindness shows us these things and gives us an opportunity to recalibrate our lives and our hearts. And we see his mercy and his goodness in that, don't we? There are, uh, I, I remember there was a time that I was just begging the Lord that I'd have the opportunity to put my kids to sleep at night and pray with them. And, uh, and he did that. And I know it was him. I know it was his goodness and, and his plans for uh, my kid's life. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I so can I encourage you dads that are here this morning, don't take for granted the time you have with your kids. It's fleeting. We're talking about how our entire lives are like a vapor. And, you know, you, you remember the pictures you posted on Facebook, like, or your wife's posted probably, uh, like a like three or four years ago, and you look at them, and you're like, man, they've changed in just that short amount of time. Like they were like this, and now they're like this, you know, or they were like this, and now they're running around, or whatever, whatever it is. It happens so quickly, and if you think about it, that window of them being in your home is growing, is closing. And I think about this with my grandkids. My oldest grand grandson is eleven now. Michael, isn't that right? 11 and uh and i kind of had in the back of my mind you know i've got till 18 i've, I've got until he's kind of out on his own that that hopefully we'll still have these opportunities but then it dawned on me he's gonna have his license in just a couple of years <laughs> you know he's he's gonna have a job he's gonna have a, a girlfriend michael says god forbid right <laughs> but that window like from 11 to 15, that's going to close quick. We have these little opportunities in life to lead, and we got to make the most of them. We can't just say someday, I hope, maybe somebody else will take care of it. Maybe I'm not the guy. God has put you there for a reason. We need to be intentional about it, and we need to be, there needs to be a sense of urgency, and we need to lead these people to the cross. Amen? I want to take a We'll pray, and then I'm just going to have a, a few guys come up, and we'll we'll take some questions if you guys have just for a little Q&A time. But uh, I'm just so grateful that the Lord has shown us through Moses and his leading the things that should be on our hearts. And I pray they are, and that God will use us to uh, maybe recalibrate some of us this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this these truths. Lord, the reality of... Eternity just blows our mind, and we can't comprehend it, so we tend to just put it out. But, Lord, help us, teach us to number our days, that we may gain hearts of wisdom. Lord, we need your wisdom. Wisdom comes from you. God, mold us, shape us. Thank you for what you've done on the cross for us, Lord. Help us to, to make that our, our life's goal and prime desire is to lead others to the cross of Christ, what he's done. Thank you that we can have a right relationship with you. And we pray that you'll establish the work of our hands as Moses ends this psalm with, Lord. Establish the work of our hands. Help us as we pass this on to our kids, to our grandkids to the people we work with, to our wives. Lord, help us to lead. Help us to take those that reign as you call us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have uh, Pastor Dave York come up, Dave Quilla, and uh, Dan, if you want to come up and join us. And just curious if you guys have any questions, uh, maybe some more practical things.
that that we can talk about this morning. And we'll get more into that as the year goes on as well, some practical things and some of the other breakfasts. So anybody have any questions? Um, Stan, that was awesome, man. Um, Lord, teach us to number our days. That was remarkably poignant. Um, when you mark down the number of days you have left, and so so this is a moment, right, of repentance and confession. How many of you went, oh, man, I have a lot of cool things I want to do in the days that are, right? Mm-hmm. And And the conviction was like, you fool. That's what I'm talking about. The important things are eternity, mm-hmm. and we want to fill it with fishing trips and hunting trips and motorcycle trips and sporting events and all these things that are so fleeting. Mm-hmm. What a moment. Uh, that was that was really um, convicting and and deeply uh, encouraging yeah. reminder. Stan, thank you. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Don't fill it with the wrong things. The days are fleeting. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, some of them. Go ahead. I was thinking some of the messages we messages we send to our kids in just our habits. Uh, there's there's a real temptation. I mean, you know, we got a set number of days when we get sunshine here in the Northwest, and when the sun comes out, we disappear. I mean, we want to get out. Things we've been there's and there's nothing wrong with those things, but if you if you think about it, like the messages, the way that we prioritize our life is sending a strong message to our kids. And uh, and even when we went on vacations, I love to go seek out a church that we could be on vacation. It's not like we ceased worshiping God because we're on vacation. This is our time now. The message we're sending to our kids is that, no, God is all of our time is God's all the time. And uh, and to, to prioritize them in that. I mean, if you if you think about it, like I you know, all the dads, the things you think about with your kids, I hope they grow up to love such and such because I love it so much. You know, you can fill in the blank there with camping. You can, you can, a uh, specific sport that you really loved. You know, I grew up playing tennis. I thought it would be great if my girls grew up playing, if they played tennis and if it took, it never really took with any of them. But, but those things don't matter. I mean, 80, 100 years from now, whether they played tennis or not, that, that doesn't matter. And so the messages we send to our kids as far as what's important, we got to make sure that's crystal clear that God is above all and He's most important and He has a, the special place in our lives. Yeah. Dave, yes, Yeah, I got a couple of thoughts, and just just picking up that last one. Your girls may not play tennis, Stan, but they're here at church. Yeah. On Sunday mornings. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather to see them here than out on the tennis court. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks. You, what what mattered most, they they did pick up from you. Yeah. Um. I'm looking around this room and, you know, Stan's talking a lot about, you know, dads, you know, investing in your kids and realizing that, you know, their days go fleeting by. And that's absolutely true. But looking around this room and I don't know what the, you know, 50 of 50 percent of us are uh, well beyond kids in the home. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for us out there. It could be grandkids. Um, but I'm thinking even more immediately around us, neighbors. You know, what about our neighbors? Are they, are they hearing the gospel from, from us? Are they hearing, are they seeing us live out the word of God, uh, towards them? Um, coworkers, you know, just other people that you interact with around, around town, you know, day in, day out. I've got a, um, I've got my, my next door neighbor. He's 85. Great guy. I love hanging out with him, but he's 85 and he, he's alone and he likes to be, out and about and engaging with people. He doesn't like to be alone. And last summer I was doing some work in my yard trying to put down, I don't know, I had about 15 yards of mulch that I needed to get out in a day. And he saw me out there and he wanted to come over. And I'm just thinking, oh, don't come over, don't come over. Because <laughs> I know he's going to slow me down. He's 85. He wants to help. He's, and I just had to swallow my pride and realize, you know what, it's more important to spend time with this man talking with him, hearing his life, hearing his stories, and looking for opportunities to to share the gospel with him, mm-hmm. looking for opportunities to, to share eternity with him and letting him just have a have a friend for the day. So I just like, okay, I, I'm not going to get this box checked off today. But you know what? I got to spend a day with my neighbor, got to share the gospel with him, got to spend some quality time with him, and it made, it made him feel important, made him feel valuable, and... It, 
I'm a guy that likes to get things done. You know, like a lot of us, I want to just check off those boxes. But there's more important things. There's eternity at stake here. Mm-hmm. He's 85. He doesn't. He's a, he's already earned on overtime. I mean, <laughs> he's 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 got uh, you know like 3,000 years of <laughs> into overtime. Um, taking away that 3,000 3,000 days from somebody else. Who knows? Right. But uh, I just want to encourage you guys that are that don't have the kids at home. There are still opportunities for us. Our days matter just as much as the guys with with kids at home. So let's 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 make the most of that and not get so consumed with checking the boxes and getting things done each day. Let's think about this is, you know, I got friends, I got neighbors, I got family members, I got coworkers who, you know, the days are ticking by and they're getting closer and closer to that day of eternity. What am I doing to to share the gospel with them and share share the love of, of Christ with them? Um, yeah, I got a few things that just kind of stirred in me. One is that, fellas, I hope that you realize that um, leadership is something that comes from God. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, because there's a Godhead and we're made in the image of God, there's leadership and there's authority and submission and all this stuff in the Godhead. And all God did when he made man was he made man mirror his leadership. So, that's one thing. The second thing is when we think of leadership in the Americanized Western mindset, we think dude out front running the ship and going out there and just taking charge. And if you look at the biblical view of leadership, it's actually service. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of getting people off of their own agenda onto God's agenda and learning how to then infiltrate their world to serve them for their benefit without you getting any accolades out of it whatsoever for the sole purpose that their soul would be put on God's agenda. Mm-hmm. Right? That's all it is. So it's little bitty things. And that's, you know, I, I take a little different approach on some things. I, I don't mind all of you dads taking your kids camping. None of us mind that. We don't mind you getting involved with tennis or baseball or all those things. But those things should not dominate. That's a means to an end. The end is we want our kids, our friends, our coworkers, whatever, just help them get on God's agenda, right? So, Dave, what I love, if you notice, every one of the stories had something to do with just normal everyday life. Dave's out, you know, raking his leaves and doing the stuff around his house and neighbor wants to help. Just normal life. Right? The book of Acts is 28 chapters that combines 30 years. It's like the Sports Center top 10 highlights of the Christian church. Right? That's not happening every day in the Christian church. It's 30 years. That means there's normal everyday dudes every day going to work, doing their thing, serving people, uh, eating dinner at home, loving their kids, loving their neighbors, and just leading by service. Right, remember that? Because that's what Jesus said. He said the greatest in his kingdom is going to do what? It's going to go down. He's not pushing an agenda. That's why my concern in Christendom in America today is we think that verbal, out front, dominating, visionary leadership is leadership. And I'm, I'm actually looking, I want, I want to be the dude, like I try to be, that's last in line for the food. Because I want all of my guys fed. right? I want my kids knowing that when we eat dinner at home, dad's the last one to get the food on his table, on his plate. I just want them to see in me a model that says my dad's trying to serve me. I want my kids to see that. I want people that I'm around to know that I'm here to serve them. right? Because leadership is service. Because if you do, if you think of the Godhead, what's the ultimate view of leadership? In Jesus, what did he do? Have this attitude among yourselves, also in Christ Jesus. And he says, do not consider yourselves more than you ought to consider yourself. Consider other person's interests above your own. Right? You see, so it's a, it's a, it's a flipped, it's flipped from the worldly view and the worldly concept that leadership is this, get out there. When I think a lot of times, if you look at biblical leadership, you're going to see it's, it's service. I mean, think of first Peter five. When he tells elders how to lead, he tells them not to do it under compulsion, and he tells them not to do it with a dictatorial leadership, but to do it as an act of service. 
right? I mean, you could go through the list of this kind of stuff. You can go apply that in your home today. You can go apply it with your friendships today. You can go apply it everywhere today. Um, it's all about just getting people off of their own agenda onto God's agenda and doing that through serving them, right? As you represent God, which is an amazing mm-hmm. thing. So, anyway. I appreciate that, Dave. And, and just the consistency mm-hmm. over the long haul. That's, that's something that I've appreciated, uh, from your heart that I hear regularly is not, is not the, uh, Top ten ESPN going for that every day, but but just laying down a good bun as you said, or or uh, uh, just being yeah, just have a great bat. Be be consistent in the trenches, and uh, and especially in parenting, man, consistency is so important. It's not the the peak moments that that are going to change a kid's lives as much as the day in and day out. And uh, and out of that, I I just I brought this today. Anybody ever seen one of these things? I see a couple hands. How many of you guys have seen one of these before? All right. Well, I grew up with this on the middle of our table uh, when I was a kid. And each of these are promises of God. They're by each of them is the Bible verse on here. And it, it's a little thing. It's a it's a little thing. Well, you know, my brother and I, when we were about junior high or so, we we're kind of getting bored, so we had started making a game of it. So we we would read each of the family members would grab one of these cards and each would read it, and then we'd say, Oh, uh, 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 Michael Jordan, we'd have to figure out where the verse was. We'd say, Michael Jordan, Randy White. And we'd have to figure out what, what verse that was. And, and so it's a silly little game. But the cool thing was we were reading God's word every day as a family. Just a, It's just a little thing. But but then when my girls uh, were probably four or five years old, my mom mailed me this thing. And so, and we put this in the middle of our table and we'd sit down and eat, which is a kind of a novel thing in and of itself, eating together as a family, right? But having this in the middle of the table and, and each of the girls got to where they knew what was coming. One of them would grab a card and then somebody else, we'd all start grabbing cards and we're about done eating and we'd read the verses, we'd read the front and we'd read the back. We'd try to guess where it was. I have a funny memory of when Kristen, some of you know Kristen, but, uh, when she was probably, I don't know eight years old or something like that. And we're trying to guess where it is. And we're like, Kristen, she's like, nope, nope, nope. It's like, Kristen, we've been through every book in the Old Testament, every book in the New Testament. Where is it? She said, job. (laughs) She was so proud of herself. But, uh, (laughs) uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's just, it is a little thing. But, but then uh, just in the last year or so, we bought each of our kids one of these. For them to have on their on their tables at home too, and and just that consistency. The conversations in the car. We used to live in Green, redeeming that time, that 15, 20 minute drive. You know, hearing about days, listening what's going on, and and uh, girls are pretty good about sharing those, sharing what's going on. But uh, those, yeah, Michael. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, it's bread. Daily bread, yeah, it's called uh, our daily bread promise box, yeah, and it's just a loaf of bread. Yeah, it's, it it could look different in every home, you know, who, who knows? But for this, it's nostalgic, but it's God's word, and more importantly, and uh, just a sweet opportunity for us to kind of keep that central in our home. And and in the conversation, we talk about the things like, what does that look like? Or wow, that just seemed to uh, connect with something you were telling me about on the way home today. And uh, and to talk about this, start start seeing the life application for God's word, how it connects. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Stan, Stan, can I take? Yeah. Oh, Mike, did you have something? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to take a minute too. Something else that struck me, you know, Dave talked about. There's a number of us that don't have kids in our home, and and there's a bunch of us who do have kids in our home. Um, but I'm gonna take just a minute. There's a lot of guys here who aren't even married. Okay, and praise God for it. And let me tell you why I think that's remarkable. Um, old guys spend a lot of time digging out of holes they create when they're young guys. <laughs> By God's grace, which is remarkable. Um, our hope is that young guys consider these things so that they don't have to dig out all the holes we had to dig out of. Amen. Mm-hmm. And and I can tell you as a guy who grew up in church and, and would have told you I was a Christian and at 27 actually got saved. I can look back over my childhood years, junior high, high school, and I remember very distinctly 
guys who I didn't realize at the time were Christians, you know, because I told you I was a Christian. I was a pretty cool guy. And all of a sudden, God just began to put his finger and go, you remember this guy? This guy loved me. That's why he was different. And those guys all of a sudden stood out like giants in the backdrop of my life. And I realized that God had been pursuing me from a young age. So I'm having a conversation with a young guy this morning about what he's doing in his life. You know, what's going on? What are your spiritual challenges? What's, what's, how's your spiritual health? And he's telling me he's riding to work in the crummy with a bunch of guys and he's listening to the Bible uh, with a bunch of guys that aren't believers. And you may go, ah, I mean, whatever. But I can tell you, young guys who don't have families, you have just as much sway in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And to lead with your life in a way that leaves an indelible mark on the people around you as though eternity mattered is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And it's something that God will bless as you grow older and you will see fruit from that. And it is a worthy endeavor. And you will not spend years digging out of the holes that you created Mm -hmm. as a foolish young man. So I'm thankful you guys are here. I just want to encourage you guys. I'm thankful for you. Just real quick, guys, that was something I thought of while I was listening is uh, as, as we lead in our families and, and in our businesses, uh, don't disregard the advice and opinion of your wives. Uh, if, if, if we do, we ignore one of the best assets we'll ever have, uh, and that is uh, the ideas of a godly wife. Too many guys believe that their wife is only their helpmate and it's her role biblically to submit to them and follow their leadership. And I tell you what, it's the it's the story of a fool that, mm-hmm. that believes that mm-hmm. because your wife will see all the details uh, and, uh, and especially as, as pertains to the way you share the Lord that you miss. And, and uh, women are just wired uh, to be detail-oriented. And they'll show you all the spots that you have glazed over and, and, and things that you have missed. And honest to goodness, it, it's some of the, of the best advice I've ever got in my life. Uh, almost 42 years of marriage has come from my wife. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. <laughs> That's all I got. Go ahead. Yeah, I just got one other quick thought. You know, Dave just. Uh, talked out about a first Peter, you know, we want to lead without being under compulsion. Um, and that's the right way. And I think it was Dan that opened up talking about being created in, in the image of God. And one of that the image for the, for guys, that is, it's, it's to lead. It's one of the, one of the things that we were created to do. But let me tell you from experience, there was, there was a time in my life where I was called into a position of leadership and I did not want to go. I did not want to take it. And the Lord, came and I had a Moses experience with, with, with the Holy Spirit one night where, you know, you, you know that story of Moses before the burning bush where he's like, I don't want to do it, man. Go find somebody else. I just leave me, leave my name off the list. And Lord wouldn't let him get away from it. And I had a night like that with, with the Holy Spirit and the Lord, it, it was, he was, did it in a kind and gentle, but it was, yeah, I had to be compelled to go and lead. And I want to encourage you. You know, it was it was a good experience. It was it was kindness of the Lord to to compel me into that. But First Peter said, let's do it without having to be compelled. So I would just encourage us: let's embrace our calling as men uh, and to lead lead as servants, as Dave talked about. But let's do it without being having to be compelled about it. It'd be a lot easier on you. Um, thanks, Dan. Again, that was fantastic, remarkably challenging, and sets the tenor for what's ahead for the year. We're going to begin now to consider what does that leadership look like. Uh, I thought you did a fantastic job of what we asked, Dan. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going to pray, ask the Lord to bless our day as we head out. And uh, as guys, as you're headed out, one of the benefits of being here in community is this time we get to visit together and encourage each other. Uh, if you see a guy that you think either needs encouragement or that you haven't connected with, I'd encourage you don't. Man, don't blow out. Spend a minute and catch that guy. Uh, the other thing is if if you have time and you're not pressed, Folding up these tables and getting them back over to the fellowship hall would be a remarkable blessing because we're tasked with resetting this for church tomorrow. And uh, there'll be at least four guys on the men's ministry team grinding it out. So every one of you guys that can help us uh, with that would be a huge blessing. But if you have to run, we understand. So anyway, that's all I got. I'm going to close this out. Father, thank you 
for the challenge from your word this morning. What, a, what an insightful look into Psalm 90. Uh, I'm challenged by that. Father, pray that uh, as men, you would teach us to number our days and not for our uh, frivolity, but for kingdom purposes and for your glory. God, that we would be wise in the way that we spend our time, that you would receive glory from our lives. That's our that's our purpose, that our life would bring you glory. Help us in that, Father. We give you praise. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.